1: This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com and the radio.com app.
0: Bobby Orr behind the net the Sanderson Ore!
1: Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup.
2: Talking Bruins and NHL.
1: Sure, old time hockey. Like it is sure. Yeah.
2: With writer and producer Brian
0: DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Proof.
2: Saw Jack after in the intermission and he was still so angry about the hit. Burn
1: him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Hey, Scott. Lay some up for some Beast Talk right now. I'm a okay, damn It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Alright, welcome into The Skate Pod, episode 44. Brian DeFelice, Bridget Prue, Scott McLaughlin. Tons to get into over the last week. First and foremost, though, how are you guys? I'm
0: good. I think better than the Bruins right now. I
2: was going to say, I've been better. That game, I was at the game last night. We're talking about the Bruins' one nothing loss to the Devils, and it just completely zapped me, I'm not going to lie. When I, I didn't even know what to write about. I mean, it was just, it was hard to watch. I felt bad for the fact that, Two thousand people got to see the first game in a long time, and that was the product that they got to see.
0: Well, it's it's frustrating because it's it's the same story over and over again. It feels like like they have these games where it seems like maybe they're starting to break through or turn a corner. Like you know, we can get into, they got some secondary scoring against Buffalo, uh, specifically from Nick Ritchie and Craig Smith on a second line that has looked decent, all things considered. But then. They followed up the next day by getting shut out by New Jersey. Again, a, the 7th place team in the division that they haven't scored an even-strength goal against in five games this year. And it's like, you know, how many times can we talk about them lacking offense, them not scoring enough, not scoring at 5-on-5 five five enough, uh, not having secondary scoring? It's just, it's the same thing over and over again. And it's it's either going to be something that Don Sweeney needs to fix with a major move before the deadline, and we're now... Two weeks away, just about two weeks exactly. Uh, or it's going to be their downfall because it's been their downfall in the playoffs in the past. And if anything, it's gotten worse. So, you know, it's not going to get fixed from within. So it's like until something happens, it it, it just feels like they're going to be stuck here. the The tires are just going to keep spinning and they're just going to keep going through this cycle where even when they might have a game where it starts to break through... It's going to be a setback the next game or two games later or whenever.
1: Yeah, so last night uh, Scott's texting me about 20 to 25 minutes after the game. Usually I send him those those game recaps within 10 minutes after the final buzzer. And he, he goes, yeah, just checking in on the, on the takeaways. And my response was, just sent it over. I was like, I got to be honest. There wasn't much to write about except for that final moment. Exactly.
2: There really wasn't. It was honestly one of the most boring games I've ever been at. It was hard to watch. The first two periods, they just seemed like they were uninterested in getting much offense going. Finally, a minute 10 left in the game. They they get a few good opportunities. I will say the whole third period was much better.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I didn't think it was the worst game overall like look mackenzie Blackwood played great and for some reason he always plays great against the bruins he doesn't play great against anyone else i tweeted this out last night but he now has a 962 save percentage against the bruins this season and an 896 save percentage against everyone else like why that guy just turns into patrick Watt against the bruins i i'm not really sure
2: and he made 40 saves in that that last one with what, what 8 seconds left that looked like it might have gone over the line. I I don't think it did. I think there was um, a second left. There was yeah, uh, was yeah, it was with a few seconds left in the game. That was probably his best save of the whole night because that was rolling in and he gets a little toe on it and it doesn't quite bounce the right way.
1: Yeah, I mean, if the Bruins played with the same shot mentality, net front presence, desperation in the first 59 minutes of that game, then you're not in that situation. And and perhaps you win that game without having to scramble in the final minute. And, And that's what annoys me about watching this Bruins team. And you watch them, and it's very apparent because there are games where they don't bring the effort, they don't bring the energy, and they don't score. But then there's games where they do bring the effort, and they do bring the energy, and they don't score. So that tells me okay, it's not just an effort issue, it's a lack of skill, it's a lack of talent at the highest level, it's a lack of finishing touch. And so you see it in every single game since they came back from that that COVID pause. And when we last spoke, the, the question was, have they turned a corner? And the consensus was among us, we have to see more, but not really. No, they haven't. And you can't turn a corner if you don't have the horses to do so. And so that's a Don Sweeney issue. And I'm going to come out, out of the gate here and pose this to you two. Let's hear it. Should he be on the hot seat if they enter the playoffs with more or less this same roster? Because there's the argument to be had about not doing enough to optimize this current core's window. And then there's the other argument, do you trust him going forward in drafts and developing because his track record as you continue to watch Seneshin do nothing and his, he got drafted six years ago and Zaboros come back down to earth and DeBrusque we all know this and then you're watching the Barzells of the world just and the Kyle Connors of the world and Brock Besser and and, and Thomas Shabbat, all guys that were there to be had and I know I'm harping on one specific draft but should he be on the hot seat is he the guy going forward?
0: Um, So First, let me throw in a second draft, because this one gets overlooked, but is one that I called at the time. Shout out to me. Um, (laughs) But when they 2016, when they drafted Trent Frederick in the first round, who, look, we all like what Trent Frederick's doing, but you can find Trent Frederick's later in the draft. And the Bruins, like, accidentally admitted at the time that they thought he was a good third liner. You don't draft good third liners in the first round. You know who was on the board when they were picking? Alex DeBrinkit. You know who people had going in the middle of the first round, but he slipped because he's five foot seven. Alex DeBrinket. So at twenty six or whatever it was when they took Frederick, DeBrinket, who had, was lighting up like every level he had ever played at, they pass on him because they go for the more sure thing, the more two way player, whatever. Okay, well Alex DeBrinket has a forty goal season in the NHL under his belt. He has eighteen goals in thirty two games this year. Like, you want to talk about solving your second line right wing issue? You know, forget all the guys you passed on in 2015, Alex Dobrynkit would have solved it. Like So there's multiple instances here where they've passed on the higher skill player because they want the two-way guy. And I think it has really hurt their farm system, and it's really hurt their ability to make another run at a cup because those are the guys that should have been that next wave. Like, when they move on from Milan Lucic, Nathan Horton, who... I don't object to, like, okay, it was time to make those moves. That's fine. But you've got to have the skill to for that next wave, and for too long, this team has depended on basically the same core. And, yeah, David Postonark was a grand slam of a draft pick, obviously. Charlie McAvoy, the same. So I don't want to make it out like Sweeney has completely whiffed in every draft. Like, he's hit some, some home run of home runs that GMs would dream of hitting. But. For the most part, there has been – he's landed prospects and players who can develop into depth guys at the NHL level, and there aren't nearly enough guys who might crack a top six or a top four on defense.
2: Yeah, I agree, and I have to think that, yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. I think that there's no other way around it. I mean, he has to make a move at the deadline. He he just has to, to fill in – you know, that depth that he wasn't able to add so far in recent drafts. And, I mean, he's always going to have a little bit of pressure on him for that. So I think, yeah, he's on the hot seat. Not, you know, to the point where he should be overly concerned, but it's there. And the next move really determines whether or not he heads further in that direction.
0: Well, and I think we've seen with Bruins' ownership, if you look at when Peter Chiarelli was fired, it's... If, you, if what you build starts falling apart and they don't think that you're the right guy to rebuild it, yeah, they're going to move on. Like, Peter Shirelli didn't, once his 2011 core fell apart and he wasn't able to replenish and his team started falling out of the playoffs and weren't cup contenders, Shirelli didn't get a chance to rebuild it. He wasn't going to be the guy to hang around to get the, the second opportunity. They were going to go with someone new, in that case, Don Sweeney who then built it up to a Stanley Cup contender again. In 2019, they get there. And now it's, okay, how big is that window? And can you keep it open? Can you make the moves to keep this team or get this team back to cup contention? Because I don't think they're in cup contention right now. Right. So mm-hmm. can you get them back there quickly while this Bergeron... Really, let's just call it the Bergeron window. Like Krejci and Rask might be gone after the season, so... You know, so the birds run March on window essentially. Mm-hmm. Can you get this team back to that level uh, while those guys are still elite players? And if you start falling off this year, and you're a ways away from that, and it's time to rebuild, or retool, whatever you want to call it, then yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if Bruins management is having those conversations behind closed doors. Of is Don Sweeney the right guy? Look how depleted our farm system is. Like where is the next wave coming that's going to get Yeah, us
2: and there. it was exposed this year because of how many injuries they had, and they call, they've been calling all these guys up. Now, granted, some of them have had streaks where they showed their potential, but this is the part of the season where we're noticing that these aren't the guys that are 100% ready to take over.
1: Yeah, and you know what's interesting, though, is that if Don Sweeney does what he's supposed to do at this year's deadline, and make this team into a cup contender. You're not doing so without giving up draft collateral. So he's going to make his job in the future harder by succeeding at his job in the season this year. But to your point, Bridget, the problem is, yes, sometimes he's drafted players and they've they've shown flashes here and there. But then you look at other GMs around the league and one that comes to mind is Steve Steve Eiserman and he did most of his damage down in Tampa Bay. And you look at Tampa Bay's roster and and, and their big guns. Yeah, Stephen Stamkos was the first overall pick in, I think, 20, 2009, and then Victor Hedman in, like, 2010, whatever it was. Yeah, those guys were, were can't miss. Actually, Hedman may have been second overall, I forget. Yeah. But I mean, regardless, then you look at guys like Kucherov and Braden Point, and I think those guys were, like, third and fourth rounders respectively or something like that. And And so while it's... Easy to be a Monday morning quarterback and say, "Wow, this GM really blew it with this first round pick." How do you how do you blow a first round pick? Ordinarily, it's easy to hit on the in the first round. It's when it's when it comes to the second and third round and the fourth round of the draft that you need to, that you can hit on some some gems. Look no further than Brad Marchand, Milan Lucic, Patrice Bergeron, David Krejci. All these guys, none of those guys were first rounders, and they were the identity and the backbone for multiple Stanley Cup runs and multiple. You know, a decade plus of of being in contention. So, I I, personally, I don't have faith in Don Sweeney at the draft anymore. I've seen enough in the last six years that I don't. And maybe faith in him at
2: the deadline.
1: You know what? I it's a you want to say I want to say I want to say yes because of the 2019 deadline with Coyle and Johansson. But honestly, other than that, he hasn't really had great deadlines, and he hasn't had great uh, free agent moves and. I don't know how he can be so successful this year at the trade deadline when their farm system, it really doesn't have much there when you compare it to other teams. And, and they don't have blue-chip prospects like Jack Edwards said. He's right. They don't. Um, so I don't I personally don't see how Don Sweeney is going to be able to pull off uh, the moves that this team needs. And I've always been saying they need that, that top-six score. Ideally a top-three forward, but in a second-line role. And I still Obviously, believe that. But the more I'm watching this decor, I'm watching Charlie McAvoy play lights out. His skating, everything the kid does is is elite, and he is so, so talented. Matt Grizzlick's playing well. Uh, Brandon Carlos coming back. But my point is, McAvoy's playing so well, and it's still not making that much of a difference. I, I, I am starting to believe you add in Mateus Ekholm and a top six forward, now we're talking, but I don't know how Sweden's going to pull it off.
0: If Ekholm's even going to be available, the the Predators are now in a playoff position because the Blackhawks have fallen off. They just swept the Blackhawks. Now, do I think the Predators should be sitting there going, oh, I guess we're going for it? No, because they're in a division with with the Lightning and Hurricanes, who they are not going to be in the playoffs. But this is how GMs kind of trick themselves into losing sight of the future is... They look at the standings, they see themselves in a playoff position, and they think, oh, well, I can't trade Matias Alcombe now. And it's like, well, yeah, you can, because you, that still helps you get to where you're, you you want to go in a few years. But, you know, I don't know what their mindset's going to be. Like, I could see – we've seen it before where teams that are fringe playoff teams talk themselves into keeping guys and not trading them. So, I, you know, who knows? Maybe Nashville ends up doing that, and, and they don't sell – Ekholm or, or anyone else, really.
2: Well, they could. I mean, they could be enticed maybe by the right offer still.
0: Yeah, well, and that's the other thing is whoever... Talking about Ekholm specifically, the Predators are going to have to be blown away because uh, they could also... Tra- he's under contract through next season, so they could also trade him this off season, specifically after the expansion draft, so that whoever's trading for him doesn't have to worry about protecting him or who they're going to protect on the blue line. So there's really it's two windows for the Predators to trade them. So if they get you know closer to this trade deadline and realize and decide like, and the offer we want is not really there, then they can wait till the off season and try it again. Um, so you know, I don't know if you guys saw uh, Flutish and Zauer of the Athletic wrote something like a week ago about how the Bruins were prioritizing defense, even though you know scoring is obviously their biggest issue because, kind of to Brian's point, they view it as. Their offense starts from the back. It starts in transition. It starts with mobile defensemen. Like, that's how they want to build it. And, you know, I think Fluta knows what he's talking about. Like, he didn't make that up. Someone, you know, he's getting that from someone. I just don't agree with the approach. You know, to me, you need guys who can finish. Like, I don't think the Bruins' problem right now is that they're, like, systemically flawed. Like, they just play bad hockey. Like, I don't think it's that. I think for the most part, they're pretty clean on the back end. They're pretty clean through the no- neutral zone. They are getting healthier in defense. Like, yes, it's not the most dynamic defense core outside of McAvoy and Grizzlick, but it's, it's solid. Like, you, you get – the Bruins get in the offensive zone. They get chances. They get shots. They're just not finishing because, to your point earlier, they're not skilled enough. They don't have guys who are capable of finishing at a consistent level. And that to me is why you need a scorer. So I think there will be, you know, scoring wingers who get moved at this deadline. We'll see what the cost end up being. But yeah, Sweeney definitely needs to do something. Like you can't.
2: What do you What do you think the percentage wise? Uh, what the percentage is that he actually is able to make a move that ends up helping the Bruins make a further run in the playoffs. Like, it has to be good enough to actually really make an impact that changes the outcome, like gets them an extra round further, gets them into the Stanley Cup playoffs.
0: I think I will say, all right, if I'm using as a level, getting out of the division, getting to the final four, let's say that's, yes, you want to win a cup, but let's say that's a good playoff run. Uh, I will say there is a 33% chance that Sweeney makes the move for, for what they need to be able to do that.
1: I like that arbitrary uh, percentage you just gave. Yeah, I, I mean, mean uh, look,
0: if we're just looking at history, not not just him, but most GMs tend to un- uh, underwhelm. Like, he, it, a, he, It's hard to make those impact moves.
1: I mean, I look at the team currently, and I think that if the roster is give or take the same entering the playoffs, if they get there, because guess what, you know, the Flyers are only a handful of points behind you. Yes, they have more games played than the Bruins, but you also have a bunch of games coming up against them, so we'll see what happens in that. But if the Bruins enter the playoffs with this roster, I mean, they'll be bouncing four or five to, to Washington or, or the Islanders. And so he need he needs to make an impact move or else his team's not going anywhere. What's my confidence that he does so? He has to. He has to. Yeah. So. I, it, it, it has to be a little bit higher than what you said, Scott. I, I, I'm with you because I don't have the confidence in him pulling but it off. it's just so hard, and to. I have
2: such a bad feeling. I just, based on, you know, all of the, the rumors that are currently out there, you don't hear the Bruins really in on anyone that I thought could make that kind of a difference to get them further, you know, at least around further, further because of his addition.
1: Well, you always hear, Bridget, people saying and writers like Fluto and this and that reporting hearing that the Bruins are in on, hearing that the Bruins are in on. But the problem is, you never hear the Bruins sign because the Bruins don't have those enticing players, prospects, picks, whatever you want to call it. To... So basically
2: it's like a snowball I... effect. Yeah.
0: It's kind of what you're I describing. I think, yeah. He can make a deal. Like, if you're willing to give up, depending on the player, a first-round pick or two first-round picks or first and second. or Like, if you're willing to give up the picks, you can get a deal done. And yeah, their prospect system isn't, Elite, but if you're willing to move your top, like if you're willing to trade a Jack mm-hmm. because you look at it and say, "Yeah, we like him. Yeah, ideally, he, you know, he, we'd keep him because Krejci might be gone. Bergeron only has a couple years left. We think he might be one of those top two centers of the future. But does he help us right now? Because he's been in and out of the lineup. He's had good games. He's had rough games." Last you know, game, it, I
2: would consider this week, uh, yeah. last game against the Devils, a rough game for him.
0: So that, like, that's the kind of player where it's like, okay, he's done some stuff at the NHL level, so he's appealing to another team because they're going to say, hey, look, this kid's young; he's already done some good things at the top level on a good team. But if you have the Bruins, no. are you saying is Jack Nika a difference maker for us this year?
2: But I'm, I'm pretty sure I've heard multiple times that he's unmovable in their eyes. But you,
1: well, that's they can they can say that about anyone. I think Bridges hearing that though, because they're so desperate at the center ice position going forward, maybe that's why they're saying, "Oh, we can't move him. He's he's the only center prospect we have for after Krejci and Bergeron." So if if you move him, it's like, well, now what? And I think that's what their hesitation yeah. would be.
0: But I get, you know, to our earlier discussion though, like I'd also be, you know, Sweeney will never tell us. He's very level-headed whenever he does do press conferences and doesn't really let you in on a whole lot. But I would love to know, like, does he does he feel pressure? Like, does he look at this and think, even if the best thing, maybe in his head he's like, the best thing for us for the next five years maybe is not giving up our prospects. Maybe it's finding ways to retool on the fly, and we're not going to be a cup contender right now. Well, why are
2: you thinking about the next five years when well, we're talking about the short window for, yeah, for So, so this, is my, this is not a next five this year. Is this is not a time to look into the next five years. This is a right. time to look into now.
0: Does Sweeney think he has five years? Like, does, no, I
2: don't he think shouldn't. so. <laughs> he,
1: he shouldn't. He should be in win-now mode. And just, to, just so that listeners don't think that we're just being pessimistic all the time, here are the facts. The Bruins were being called... The, the cream of the crop in the NHL for, for the, the first quarter of the NHL. season. Oh, you got the perfection line. The first month of the season. They're, they're the, the top of the record. power rankings. Okay. They're 10, 1, and 2. Oh, you know. Okay. Well, just so that you understand where we're coming from right now, they're currently 13th in the NHL overall standings. And they're, they're fourth in their division hanging on to that last playoff spot. So that just goes to show how they have fallen from, from the heavens so, so much. But their roster, the players that they have, there are enough good pieces, enough established players that they're not in a this is not a rebuild or retool
2: no and this is and this is also one of the things I wanted to bring up when everybody's healthy and off COVID protocol this is hopefully this is a different conversation for us I'm I mean I'm optimistic that it could be a different conversation they got Lausanne back this week uh hopefully Carlos soon maybe Tenordi uh but the whole getting back Marshawn is obviously going to be key for them as soon as he comes off COVID protocol, breast they're getting breast back. I don't know if that makes you feel any better or not, but I think once everybody's healthy, specifically the defense, uh, this could be a different conversation.
1: Well, Bridget, I'll tell you this. You and I have more chemistry than most of their forward lines because you just read my mind. <laughs> okay, okay, good. Because that's what I was going to bring up was the fact that as bad as they've played, as bad as they've looked, especially offensively, we could be singing a much different tune if you fast forward the clocks a month and Martian's obviously back in the lineup. DeBrusque is back in the lineup. Corrali, you know, as inconsistently as he's been, is back in the lineup. Carlo's healthy. Lozon is back now. Miller's back. Hopefully, Tuca's back. Um, and then you have some deadline acquisitions. Then then there is room for opti- optimism for this team. I think they're at a low point. So I'm glad you brought that up, Bridget, because it, I'm. we're trying to be fair here, but we're just trying to call it as we see it. Currently, it's a week to week show. So,
2: and and to get back to the point about Corrali coming back into the lineup, I know he hasn't played as well as he has in the past this season. But when you look at their their fourth line from last game, bleeds to Nika Kuhlman, Corrali is is honestly you know, going to make a difference on that. Line. I don't know. I don't. You don't think so?
1: So if he's playing his game, maybe. But he hasn't been.
0: Yeah, I don't know if. Ideally, I don't know if I want Corrally in my lineup, but the way he's been playing this season. Same with Wagner, and that's look. Well, I they're agree both, about Wagner. They're both great guys, great teammates by all accounts, but they haven't had good
1: seasons. Cor- Corrally is a guy that if he were traded at the deadline to a team that is, they kind of have their lines figured out, and he gets rejuvenated, he could be a very, very good addition to a playoff team,
0: like uh, Riley Nash did for like a year for Columbus exactly. like like the Bruins yeah. are done with him he's, he went to Columbus he energized their bottom six
1: Coralie is somebody to keep an eye on uh if the Bruins need to send over uh, cuz he's you know he's only 26 27ish you know he's he's not he's not old he's not young he's right in that middle so he's he has some value he could be somebody that calling, they trade away
2: 26 not not young
1: You know Bridget <laughs> I'm not because then I'd be calling we I'd be calling us yeah. know, not young, which I'm I'm not doing b- at all but uh Scott you and I may owe Bridget an apology. so I think you do. So I want to give Bridget the uh, – I want to give her the ice for a minute okay. to to maybe rub it in our faces because there's going to be plenty of time. already started to, on Twitter. There's, so. <laughs> there's going to there's be some time to talk about Donnie over the next few weeks and what they do or don't do at the deadline. Um, so last week we kind of talked uh, about Anders Bjork with Bridget, and she wanted to say – he has all this potential, blah, 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 blah. And so uh, to yeah, get into that. that's all you heard
2: last week was blah. To get,
1: blah. <laughs> <laughs> to get into that. No, that was that was Scott. I was mimicking. <laughs> so to get into uh, the first of three games that have taken place since we last recorded, uh, the Bruins 4-3 overtime lost to the Islanders. Uh, one of the biggest takeaways was that Cassidy kind of, Uh, Went against what you would think, and he he didn't start his top guys in overtime, and the game ended 20 seconds later. He elected to go with Coyle and Bjork, who played really, really well in that game. And so, now, the ice is Bridget's.
2: Okay, thank you. Uh, Can I first at least say, for for this week, I told you so, Um, and the fact that by the end of this past game yesterday night, that Bjork was elevated to the first line. They had Frederick slotted in the first line to start the game. Bjork ends up there. It's because of the effort that he showed. It's because of the speed that he showed. I mean, he probably, in that last game, and in, in maybe two out of the three games this week, was the hardest working player on the team. And he showed that. And that's what I was trying to talk to you guys about last week is there's so much potential because you see, I know it needs to be more consistent, but it's there. I mean, it's there. He's, he's just got such a natural ability for skating and speed. And especially... On the penalty kill. He was so good this week on the penalty kill. He had two times where he picked off the puck and went, you know, on not necessarily a breakaway, but like a one-on-one or two-on-one. And it created some of the best opportunities the Bruins had, especially because, you know, the rest of the offense was stagnant. And I know Scott's about to say something because I can see it in his face.
1: He's about to say blah, 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 blah. blah. Yeah. I apologize for nothing.
2: (laughs) I I know. I know because I tweeted. Easy, easy, McGregor. Yeah. So –
0: I, I, I want to will... make my take on Anders Bjork per- perfectly clear, because I think he's good. Like, I don't hate Anders Bjork or his game. In fact, like, I could text friends right now that I've defended Bjork to in the past who say he's useless, which I don't agree with. I think Anders Bjork is a very good fourth liner. Ah. I, I think he is smart defensively. He can help kill penalties. He makes good plays. He does Is generally pretty responsible with the puck. He just doesn't score enough. And yes, he had had a two point game this week. Those are his only two points in the last fifteen games.
2: I will say I put this statistic. This this wasn't shining the best light on Bjork. Uh, After his second goal of the season that he had against uh, the Islanders, at the very end of my article, there was a little spot where I wrote that this. It was a. I mean, I had to change my whole article. Let me just say because I had written. I had written it off as a Bruins win, but then I had to change it because it lost game was in this? overtime. Oh, the, the Islanders game. game. Yeah, yeah. So it was my article was going to be about firsts. Everybody having their firsts. So Coleman's first and and Bjork's first and and it was uh camphor and and you know I that got scrapped by the way. But I. Pat a very... first
1: game without a goal against the Bruins.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I so at the very bottom it was that Bjork. He only has had four multi-point games in his career.
0: So, yeah. So, the Bjork, Coil, Kuhlman line showed promise, certainly in that game, but in general. Like, Coil seems to work well with speedier wings, but Bjork and Kuhlman, while good players who do a lot of things well, who play hard, are not good enough third line wings. To make up for uh, a lackluster second line, because if you're going to have so we touched on this a little bit earlier, but Richie Krejci Smith, I think is showing some encouraging signs. Like probably the best second line you've had this year so far, which isn't saying a whole lot, obviously. <laughs> but, but and we
2: had some dissenting opinions uh, on the Gresham Keith show that we might get to later. But oh yeah,
0: yeah. Um, but it, rich so Richie Krejci uh, Smith. Perfectly fine line, playing well, but you would by no means confuse that for a great second line. So if you're not going to have a great second line and you're going to be a cup contender, then you better have a great third line, which the Bruins have had in the past. Like the, We talked about the year they traded for Coyle and Johansson and went to the mm-hmm. Stanley Cup final. Uh-huh. That was a really good third line that won a lot of matchups in the playoffs. Yeah, You don't have a really good third line if your wings are Bjorn Coolman, no matter how Good, they look. Well, or they could be they, worse well, with skating. the current
2: roster that they have. They could be worse. So, yeah, third but, line to start against Buffalo was Bjork, Coyle, Senishin, and the fourth line oh, was McKeg, Stanika, Wagner. Oh, so, I, I, <laughs> Bjork does not deserve to be on a fourth line if this is the <laughs> roster that as it's currently no, constructed. But,
0: so, to my point about how I don't wouldn't mind Corralian Wagner being out of the line, but like if my fourth line was something like Bjork, Stanika, Kuhlman. I can get excited about that, because that also presumably means that I have better players ahead of them on the third and second line. Right now, you just don't have those better players who are, like, clear upgrades, and so you end up with probably a subpar second line by, say, NHL contender standards. Like, sure, Buffalo has a worse second line. Congrats. But now you also have, like, a subpar third line and a subpar fourth line, and you just can't have... Lines that are like you get into the playoffs, you can't have your second, third, and fourth lines like all losing matchups I want
1: to I w I wanna I wanna jump back to Bjork for a second, but before I do, I'll tell you this much. The bottom six this year has me so disgusted. I'd rather see trainer Donnie Del Negro and goalie coach Bob Asenza. <laughs> Get a chance on Coyle's wings right now than, than any of the other guys that have been there.
0: I mean, Joe Sacco and Jay Pandolfo were good for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: He's gonna pull off the um, the bad news Bears coach player combo. So, Bridget, I think I think what I was saying about Bjork because I acknowledge his work ethic. Uh, it's been it's been which has been an issue in the past. His biggest problem is he lacks confidence in his abilities at the NHL level, and and that, sometimes, that's sometimes.
2: Yeah, I will agree with you. Sometimes he doesn't look I, like he's a hundred percent confident. And I, I
1: think that's demoralizing to a player. I, th- I think I think a lot of players are their own worst enemy, and I think confidence has a big deal, be- a big reason for that. Because when you see them get a goal or two, it's no coincidence that there's a little extra pep in their step. With Bjork, I agree with you. He has been working really hard, and I think what I'm saying about Bjork is that when the Bruins drafted him, you have to remember, he was uh Hobie Baker finalist out of Notre Dame, and he had all this. St- and when they first brought him up to the to the big leagues, he looked really well. Before he got that shoulder injury, he had a couple goals. And honestly, some of those multi-point games may have been his first couple in the league with Krejci, I think, against like Nashville or Arizona or something like that. But anyway, um, I think what they wanted when they signed him or drafted him or whatever would be to be like a Rich Peverly Michael Ryder type where, like, you can be on a third line or a second line and pop in 20, 25 goals. I think what you're going to get at the most is, like, a Danny Payet type where he brings that energy and he can maybe chip in 8 to 10 goals a year. And I think that all I was trying to say about Bjork is that I don't think he's going to pan out for that 20-plus goal scorer at this level.
2: No, and not not definitely not yet. He hasn't shown that yet. But I still think – this was my main point last week that – um we're talking about is just that the upside is still there the hope is still there that he could improve I think that this isn't the best we're going to see him play I hope that this is uh the beginning of him finishing off the season like this now will that happen who knows the lines have been switched so much and he's been playing all over the place but I think maybe these two games that he's had against the Islanders and then the Devils give him that confidence that he might have been lacking
1: Actually, this is just breaking. Don Sweeney, has he has gotten rid of Andrew Bjork to make room on the cap space because they're bringing back Lee Stepniak It's a free <laughs> deadline acquisition. So, as we're live right now, Bjork is gone. In comes Stepniak. <laughs> always there. He's, he's always there for actually, workouts. <laughs> Bridget, actually, that, that might be the only way we don't see um, him come to fruition is if he ends up getting traded at the deadline for some...
2: And I. Do not want to see that happen. No, I, I want to be clear I, about that. I do not if, want to see if someone, that
0: happen. If someone wants, if someone views him highly enough to be, you know, one of two key pieces in a trade for a top six forward, I'm trading him. Like that's, I have no problem with that.
1: Well, also because Bridget, you can also find like, I I hear you. I'm with you on his potential and, and his his work ethic and stuff. But at the same time, you can you can find that replacement. In other ways, shape, or form. If you have to get rid of him, you can find somebody to come in and kind of do what he does a- at some point. So they lose to the Islanders four three. They have a two nothing lead, and a common theme. That's
2: why I started writing my article, <laughs> right? Oh, you know, well, <laughs> and then it just went it just went to hell.
1: A common theme is that they keep blowing these opportunities on the power play to extend leads or get back into the game. and, and the first one was against the Islanders. You're up two nothing. And you're playing a team that is stingy as hell. And and, and the Islanders have gotten a rap over the last few years of like, ah, you know, they're coached well, they're disciplined, they work hard, but they're they're boring. Nobody wants to watch them play. You know what? They're a pretty damn good team. And I've watched them now, was it five times against the Bruins this year or four times, whatever it's been. They're a good team. They're going to be a very, very tough out in the East Division. And so the Bruins have a chance to extend a lead. The Bruins are fragile lately. They're up two nothing. Get that game to three nothing, and 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 you and I don't think the Islanders would have checked out because they're coached so well and they work so hard. But your chances of winning go up, and then you 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 blow it on the on the power play, and next thing you know, this two, two, is- one, two, 2 and the game's in the balance.
2: And this is what my article ended up being about was so after the game, Cassidy comes out and calls out his top line because they had no points in that game. Marshawn didn't even have a shot on goal, so he comes out and he says he needs you know the guys that he's relied on in the past to step it up he finally seemed like he was very frustrated in them and that's what the story ends up being after that game that could have been a positive it could have been you know a big win over somebody they've had a really hard time against this season but instead it's it's a letdown at the end very early into the overtime period and it's starting to is this picture starting to form that the the top line is becoming part of the problem
1: Absolutely, 100%. Scott, you want to jump in?
0: Um, I'm not ready to call them part of the problem yet. They've, last, had, the not last, part, they've if, had a rough stretch. Let of me it let recently. me
2: define the problem yeah. because I'm not saying oh these guys <laughs> scratch them. You know what I mean? <laughs> the problem in Try not enough. being able to uh, make the final push, get themselves over, uh, like over the line to win. So even when their secondary players are finally playing well they show that they're not as consistent as they need to be. And that's what I mean by part of the problem. I'm talking about the problem in consistency.
0: Well, so, I mean, this also, for me, comes back to just the lack of depth and the the fact that you have to depend on them being on their game and being great every single night. Because when they're not, you have nothing else. But this game, they weren't even close. No, true. This
2: game, it wasn't even medium. It was just cold.
0: But most... 99.9% 99.9% of players in the NHL are going to have bad games. It happens. Bad and,
1: months. It's been a bad month. Uh, it's been a bad month, Scotty. No. It's been the, 10 games, they, They've Scotty. had a couple
0: bad games. They've had some other games where they've played well but haven't scored. Like, Well, you it's, will it's not a great sh- that it,
2: it's more than just one bad yeah, game for sure. that we're talking about. Yeah,
0: they have between, I think Brian had the step, between Marshawn Bergeron-Pasternak, they have one even strength goal in the last ten yeah, games. And now, it was against the, the, the Rangers. I think there were a couple assists in there, like yeah. And past
1: has pass, but... had some power play goals too, but that's not the it's the even strength. Yeah, you know?
0: and and it was, and it was disappointing. So this past game uh, on Sunday when Marshawn was out, I was disappointed most in Pasternak because in the past, like if Pasternak's been out or you know the rare times they move him down to second line. Marshawn and Bergeron have been able to pick up, you know, whoever goes in on that line. And that's not to say, like, they go and score three goals, but they play well. And I thought yesterday, Sunday, I thought that had to be that kind of game for Pasternak, which he's done before, obviously. We've seen him take over games. Yep. But, like, that felt like a game where, you know, Marshawn's out, you know, Bergeron... Let's be honest. He's thirty-five years old. He's on a back-to-back. He's had lingering groin issues for years now. Mm-hmm. Like that's a game where, like, I want to see Pastrnak step up and take over and lead that top line, no matter who he's playing with, and you know, just take over the way that we have seen him do that in the past. And it was a very quiet game for him. So that part's disappointing. But again, if 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 your only hope of winning and scoring is for your top line to be on every single night then like you're gonna run into issues it's just not realistic especially in a season with all these games bunched so close together like, Which they the, need help.
2: They they have spread some of them out because they decided to extend the final game. Yeah, of the season well, but a little it's bit. still what well, I think
0: it's, it's their last twenty eight ga- games in forty eight
2: days. Yeah, and so it's, it's more than they're used to yeah. in a normal season. But what I was about to say was just that we are really Debbie Downers today. Well, we are like such Debbie Downers we're right not, now. We're not. De- we're we're being realistic, obviously. Bridget, <laughs> Maybe let's try I would to find love, one. I would one...
1: love to sit here. And praise them for how much chemistry they have, and how hard they work, and how they look like they are in great position to win a cup this year, or go on a deep run. But they, it's, it's honestly, not the reality. It's not the reality, and and I think that we have an obligation to to discuss uh, the good and the bad. And and there, it hasn't been all bad. Like there, the depth scoring has showed up recently in, in in spurts, but the eye test is telling me that. They just don't. They don't have what it takes right I'm, now.
2: I guess if we're going to be encouraged about anything, it's got to be McAvoy at this point.
1: McAvoy's been great. Ma- Grizzly, I and Grizzly together. Yeah, so I, I
2: I love that lo- that yeah. deep pair. I
0: wrote about this on yeah. Sunday, but it's like that's not the kind of pairing you would normally think of as shutdown pairing. But they're allowing. I don't. I didn't check updated through Sunday night, but going into Sunday, they were allowing the fewest shots on goal per sixty minutes of any pairing in the NHL, and the second fewest goals per 60 minutes. And,
2: like, and they might just be the fastest uh, deep pair in the yeah. NHL. The way that they skate, uh, the confidence that they both have, uh, I have so far really enjoyed watching that. That's been maybe one of the most encouraging things from this week.
1: I like what you said the confidence they both have. I was talking with my brother during the, uh, the Sabres game. McAvoy works his ass off, but when you watch him play, he's a player who knows how good he is and he has yeah, he the plays ultimate, with,
2: like his chest out he, you know what I mean <laughs> he plays
1: with the ultimate confidence in his abilities and and but he doesn't just rely on that his work ethic matches it he's a special special player in his the way he thinks the game uh, the confidence at which he executes as well is uh, you know Scott you talk about how the the Bruins decor is nothing special after Grizzly and McAvoy well most teams don't have a McAvoy, so that's why they're able to you know He's a special player, and that's why I put so much emphasis on the offense at the deadline. And especially because when—again, not to be a Debbie Downer, but somebody like Pashnak in the top line when they're struggling, what concerns me long-term is that this is the same way that the top line plays when they get into a playoff series, and you you can see that the opponents start to figure them out. There's there's such a good regular season line ordinarily because you're playing 80— 30, 31 teams over eighty two games, and they don't get to see each other often, and they do their thing. But when a team can game plan and harp on that top line, they can shut them down. Hmm, you and, mean
2: and, like the Islanders? Like the Islanders, <laughs> like the
1: Capitals. You know, it. You watch somebody like Nathan McKinnon, C- Connor McDavid, Leon Drysaddle, Austin Matthews, all these elite players that Pashnak is in that you know class with. You know, as far as a top young player, nobody touches you know McDavid, but. They all create their own offense. You watch pasta, and when he's playing his game, he does some some special special things, but oftentimes lately you see him if he gets an opportunity to bury a one timer, he does but is he is he grabbing the bull by the horns as much as you want him to
0: he He's had a little bit of those like baubles recently that we've seen crop up with him at times in the past and you know, one, the one time when, like, everyone talked about it was after he had that hand injury and yeah. then came back for the playoffs. And he, and he and looked and not was himself. clearly, like, off and not not close to 100%. But it's come a bit other times, too, and I don't know if it's just, like, a weak on his stick thing or, like, his focus sometimes isn't there, but I feel like that's cropped up a little bit recently where you've seen him kind of just lose control of pucks or passes his bounce off a stick or, you know, j- like, just like he's not fully in control and I I don't know what causes that like I don't again I don't know if it's an effort thing a focus thing maybe there's some sort of injury there that we don't know about but um, I guess I would say like unless this goes on longer I'm not gonna get super concerned about the top line I would just say that and again highlights that they need more help because like you guys said teams can game plan for them in the playoffs and we've seen We've seen that line kind of play to a draw in the playoffs in the past. and
1: But they've won the series because they had that depth yeah, scoring.
0: Yeah, exactly. So if, if someone can play that line to a draw, to my earlier point, then you can't lose other matchups. Then you need yeah. your second, third, fourth, fourth, line fourth needs- lines, whatever, to be winning matchups. And that's where I don't, you know, maybe against, you know, I don't know if they faced Pittsburgh or whatever. That's not how it lines up right now. But – a team that doesn't have as much depth, sure, you could maybe win those matchups, but against the Islanders, where like they're rolling four pretty darn good lines, you know, I just don't think you have the depth to to compete in that series, or you can compete, but to win that series,
1: agreed. So,
2: I want to get into the the hot button topic of the week. Which is... I, I'm just going to say this. Me and Scott last night were tweeting about the same things at the same time with the exact opposite viewpoints on everything. Hmm. So we're am I talking about, about this? Let's we're get into just, it. We're talking about the no-go call ah, yes, and then okay. the second no-go call. And then this, we were both watching the college hockey at the same time as we were watching... <laughs> uh, actually, I was in the press box at the Garden with my screen up watching the BC um, St. Cloud State game. And so... That one's stupid. We disagreed on an on an injury penalty situation there to Easton Brodzinski. But um, for the uh, – for the
0: thought, Thoughts out to Easton Brodzinski because that was an ugly injury. That was
2: ugly, and I hated to see it. He had a knee injury that took him out. He won't be back, I assume. They haven't updated him, but there's no way.
0: There were, like, unofficial reports that – it was essentially as bad as it looked that it was a broken leg, but yep. it, I don't know if that's been confirmed. So,
2: uh, and he is their best but player. He, yeah, either way, you don't
0: would not expect him on the Frozen Four.
2: So, the, but the but the Bruins related ones mm-hmm. were, were in the last minute of the game. We disagree about the first non-goal call. I will agree about the second non-goal call because I don't think there was an angle that definitively showed that it crossed the line, but. Mm. I think that Krejci got to the puck before Blackwood got to the puck. And you guys can disagree with me, but I was there. I was actually in, like, the closest media spot with the best view of it. And from in real time, Mm -hmm. from my vantage point, he got there first. And Blackwood postgame says, I knew I covered it, so I knew when it was reviewed that it was going to come back. But I disagree because – if you covered it, then why the heck is it scoring out? <laughs> like Krejci, yeah. Krejci, beat him maybe by a half a second, and the puck didn't come out slowly. You know, it cleanly got to Bergeron from what I saw, and then looking at the replay, I still co- confirm my original thought that he beat him to the puck. He didn't interfere with him, and why? And why didn't Blackwood uh, have the opportunity to slide over and and you know get back into position? It happened too fast.
0: Also because Krejci was hitting him and pushing him sideways.
2: <laughs> I, I didn't uh, see I, it I think, that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just see I know, it differently. I know, I think <laughs> I think I think his glove was over it. Yeah, he didn't his have glove it, was he didn't covering. have it covered long long enough to he didn't get a have whistle
2: it covered at all. But you still,
0: you still can't knock it out of his glove. He has glove over he it. Did.
2: From the overhead, it looks like yes, because it's like you know an inch or two over over. But then I I was at. Do I I have to play
1: Judge Judy here? So I would add no because you're on his side. (laughs) What seals it for me though is
0: is not only the knocking it out, but then Craigie like continues jamming like in a straight line and slides Blackwood sideways and like kind of turns him. So there was even if he had time to get set. Even if he had time to get set, he couldn't have. because He couldn't Krejci have gotten like still set because it was
2: one second between the pass and the goal. Like, he didn't have an, any sort of ability to get set because it happened too fast. There was no way he was going to slide over there. And it wasn't just because of Krejci. It was just yeah. because of the speed of it. And I, did, I think it's a, a weak call. Like And, and Cassie said post-game uh, that... It was first of all the angle they reviewed it at from overhead. Obviously, it's going to look like he had the puck covered because you can't see underneath. And and he said it wasn't egregious, and I have to agree it wasn't egregious. I, I think it maybe could have gone, it could have easily gone the other way.
1: I think so. And what annoys me about that one in particular is that it was called a goal on the ice. So that that, that that's what annoyed and me. And it as looked a like to
2: me, like I said, I was there, saw it live. It looked like a, it looked like a good goal.
1: Well, I don't. I don't think, Bridget, that the issue was if Blackwood had it covered or not. Because I think, I agree, I I think Krejci was was within his right to try to stab that puck loose. But to Scott's point, when you watch the replay, Krejci's stick is kind of like pushing, you know, Blackwood.
2: Because Blackwood lands on his stick. Yeah, well. His glove lands on the stick. Whatever
1: the reasoning, I agree with you, Bridget, in the sense, like, it... If we're talking about honoring like the spirit of the game and like you know, um, like it should have been a goal, okay, and, and and was Krejci's stick like pushing Blackwood? Yes, but you watch it and Blackwood had his head down and w- like like a turtle. He made no effort to 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 battle for that puck. The problem is, uh, the referees they have to make that call because it's just the way the rule book is in the NHL, and, and I don't agree with it. But that's why my opinion on the goal not standing is they made the right call based off of what the stripes are being told to judge. But as far as honoring the nature of the sport in like that sense, I agree with you, Bridget. The second goal, same thing. It's like that puck's that puck was, it was it was in. It, it's
2: that was the puck luck that Cassie was talking about. Like, it, it was the
1: same thing as uh, DeBrusque's goal, and
2: I don't think it was in. Like I don't even. I, People are, like, I've
0: heard people. I mean, maybe it's like, hard to guys tell. Feel like w- people w- are saying, w- oh, like, it was probably in, but you can't really tell. I'm like, if anything, I think it was clear that it wasn't in. Mm. Like, it
1: was I think because
2: you have of replays. Angle. No,
1: I don't think so, It was Scott. because
2: of the angle that if, so the puck is, no one can see what I'm doing with my hands. The <laughs> puck was on edge, like like so, if you can see, like, yep. at an angle. Yeah. This back end of the puck in the line, I mean, past the line, and this top end of the puck over the line.
1: <laughs> well furthermore like where where is the momentum of the puck? The puck's angled towards the back of the net. Yeah. Regardless again, it's one of those situations just like DeBrusque's non-goal at Madison Square Garden, like the puck I think was over the line.
2: Could you it, tell though if yeah, you couldn't tell definitively that's the problem right, because and, the and call on the ice was and no goal. And that's why
1: and that's why they made the right call because you can't definitively see and that's the rule book that they have to go by. D-
0: they got to get the the sensors that they have in soccer. Because in soccer or tennis, yeah, or tennis. Because in in soccer, the refs know within seconds if a ball completely crosses the line or not. Because they have like all these sensors set up around the net, and the ref gets pinged if it, you know, whether it's a goal or no goal. And it's like, how do we not ha- like? We could have that. Yeah. But why don't we? Like, we should be able to know within seconds. Like, have all the sensors set up and know whether the puck completely crossed the line. You're
2: right about that. The NHL doesn't utilize all of the technology that they could possibly be utilizing. I mean, they, they're just starting to expand replay. And it, it, that's been something that's been available for a long well, time and could easily make the game less frustrating for the players and for the
1: refs. Can I ask you, well, I, they
0: tried putting those tracking chips on pucks and no one could score. Oh, it's
1: okay, Scott. They have <laughs> tracking chips in the back of their jerseys yeah. so they can, you know. Um, here's a question, though. They have, they have a camera... In, in the back of the net for, like, the slow motion replays going to commercial break and whatnot when a guy goes flying into the net. Oh, we can use it then. Do they use that camera for goal yeah. line calls, too? Yeah. You're, you're they just don't right. show it's, us on TV? It's one of them, yeah. So okay. they
0: use, like, a few different angles. Yeah. But, but yeah, but, like, none of them are going to be definitive because none of them are, like, to be definitive, you basically need to be, like, on the crossbar looking down. And they even the overhead one that they have, you can tell it's slightly at an angle because you, yeah, have, to, exactly. you have to be not... able to see the... The goal
2: line. When the puck's like, not flat, you're you're gonna have a hell of a time trying to figure out yeah. which part of the puck is in the net.
1: I, I I will say, and you can you can agree or disagree on on the calls that the refs made. To side with Bridget for a second, because 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 overall I, I I do agree with with Scott uh, in the sense that like, they they, <laughs> they had blah 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 they had to make that <laughs> call, but the call on the ice was a good goal, and so it's like. You really gotta be egregious to overturn that. And if they, if the call on the ice was no goal, goal interference, and then Cassidy reviewed it and they said no, fine. But it's like you called it a goal, and so I don't know. I'm yeah, don't and
2: know. let me let me bring us back to one other mistake by the referees that doesn't have anything to do. With those goals, which was when they were horrible, yes, and they got booed off the ice when the game was over, as they should have. Um, And we
0: haven't even touched on return of fans, barely. Yeah, but well, they they were loud.
2: They were loud, (laughs) and they were really not happy with the refs. But what I'm saying is, at the beginning, well, at at the end of the second period, there should have been a tripping call when Krejci got the most obvious trip I've ever seen. Then going into the third period would have been a five-on-three. That makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. I mean, that could have made such a big difference. Yeah. And then, then that was another miss call, and they almost didn't call the McAvoy high stick. He got oh, hit in the face. They definitely
0: missed it in real. They time. They missed
2: it in real time. They were there was no hands up. He, his, I think honestly, I think it went all the way through his lip because I saw him like messing. Well, with then, it he on the a, inside.
1: then he had a inside. he had a dash on his cheek too. So I don't know how yeah. that would have happened with, but I guess the the blades are are long enough. But uh, good on the NHL, I guess, to implement that. You can review the high sticking because last year that wouldn't have been able to be, to have uh, been reversed, right?
0: So i I think they like technically have to call it and then they can review it. So they did the right thing in the sense that they clearly they huddled up, they got together, they weren't entirely sure. So they call the penalty and then they can review it. Like that's how it should work, and thankfully they finally got it right. But yeah, I mean.
2: They didn't it's want somehow they missed it in they, real time. They, they originally had had no clue what was here's, what happened.
1: Here's the unfortunate thing, and and like I said, we you, you can you can agree or disagree on the calls on the ice and the reviews, but one thing we can all agree on is that that was a win that the Bruins could have really used to catapult themselves confidence wise. But we can also agree that if they played with the same determination and same simplistic mindset in the first 59 minutes then we won't even be talking about this and so it's like it's it's the classic situation yeah blame the refs blame the refs yeah the refs start to blame for stuff throughout the game but it's a 60 minute game and I always have a hard time one thing that comes to mind is when the Bruins played the Blues in 2019 game five when Chara came back with the jaw and the crowd's going crazy and everybody was going insane over the non-call on a Chari that led to the three one go ahead goal or or two nothing go ahead goal whatever it was for St. Louis. And it's like, oh well, the refs cost the Bruins the game. Hold on a second. That that play happened with ten minutes left in the game. Fifty minutes had gone by and the Bruins didn't do anything. So yes, the and by the way, that was Tim Peel that missed that call against the Chari and obviously mm-hmm. he got let go from the league. But um Yeah, so I, I, I'm the last person to I get as pissed off at the refs as anybody, but I also tend to take a step back and say, okay, but you know what? A lot happens in 60 minutes, and, and the Bruins have to be held accountable for their, their play.
2: Well, you're 100% right about that because the first two periods were, like I mentioned earlier, some of the worst hockey I've seen in a long time. I, it was like a snoozer. I felt bad the fact that these fans were here back for like, the first time in forever. Like Some of these people probably haven't gone to a game in <laughs> years. So, right. and, and then they were very amped to get into the game. They were They were a very loud crowd. Um, and I honestly saw- thought it sounded like there was an amp, but I think they were actually legitimately just that loud um, in their cheering, and then that turned into boos later on in the game when the refs made the bad calls, but I, I felt bad for the correct product. That- <laughs> well, really? The tripping call <laughs> was no, a no. correct call? I mean, the
1: reviews. The, uh, but
2: the- regardless of of whether or not they got it right, none of the fans thought they got it right. No, so. well,
1: <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the fans never will, but the, uh, I'll tell you what though after three games of have of hearing 2900 people yelling shoot the Bruins are probably like ah can we go back to the no fans but the um, the biggest takeaway for me like I said is that you have to you have to play the right way the first 59 minutes of the game and, and, and Bridget this is coming off of a game against the Sabres where after 40 minutes they're getting out shot 24 21 to a team that's lost 16 straight so it, it, it,
2: and a real ugly start in that one. A
1: real, an ugly forty minutes. And, and it's like, and I said, uh, I think I said in the in the show sheet that I'm watching that game, and the gap between the Bruins offensively and a team that's lost sixteen straight, to me, as far as generating scoring chances and 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 puck possession and controlling the game and the pace of play, the gap between the Bruins and the Sabers offensively is closer than the Bruins to like the Lightning or Vegas or Colorado offensively and Washington. You know, so these are t- so that's what's alarming to me, and that's why, you know, they have to they have Don Sweeney has to make some. They're going to get healthier. You talk about being optimistic, Bridget. I'm being optimistic. They are going to get healthier, and I do think Sweeney's going to make some moves, and I do think that their play will increase, and that the fans will increase in attendance at the Garden, and I do think that the Bruins have been at a low point for a little bit here. It's going to get better, and it better because they have four of the next five games against two teams they're directly ahead of. And behind in Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, so it's a big, big five games, and
2: and they're at home, and they have are fans they all, now. are they all at home? Yes, uh, the two Pittsburgh games are at home, and then the one game against the Flyers ends the ends their homestand.
1: And and if from a player's perspective, and you guys can speak to this from being in attendance, TD Garden did a great job of spreading out the twenty nine hundred fans because on TV, it looks. A lot more full than you would think it would, with three thousand fans there when the when when the capacity is roughly seventeen, six hundred or something like that, and uh, and so and and they were loud like you said, Bridget. So I think that TD Garden did a great job of 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 visually making the arena look more full than it was, and the fans did a great job with yeah, it's the energy. They,
2: they stagger them like. Yeah. So, like, each row looks like, you know, e- mm. each section, if you're looking at it from like where the players are looking at it from, looks like, you know, that's <laughs> that and, and every seat's taken. And there's
0: a couple sections that are like left almost completely empty. There so you are. can tell, like, they know, like, all right, camera, don't cut to those sections. Well, so... I
1: think the black seats as opposed to the old yellow seats may help that as well. Because yeah. with the yellow seats, you could really, back in like 06, 07, when the Bruins were really bad, and, and that was actually what they were pulling for games, was 3,000 fans. <laughs> Uh, you could tell when somebody wasn't. You could tell when somebody was in the uh, concessions getting a beer because the yellow seat was noticeable. Yeah, so, I mean
0: the only thing you don't see obviously is you know they still have the tarps down low around the do. glass, which, which
2: ob- is, is, is obviously to understandable. Keep, to you keep don't... it away from the players, like keep, yeah, keep people away
0: which by the way bring back to college hockey if you watched the the regional that was in Fargo North Dakota Oh
2: my god ridiculous No, no such
1: restrictions no, the, those fans are standing right on the
2: glass They were right there they were Michigan did anything.
1: Michigan have to forfeit their yeah. their tickets like Michigan and Michigan Notre Dame, and Notre Dame.
0: That's brutal
1: that is out. brutal
2: And nobody got to take their spots so so was it BC and who is Notre Dame supposed to play Uh
0: Minnesota Duluth
2: They both got a free pass through that because they had The COVID test came back, and they and they got kicked out of the tournament too late to add one of the other teams, like Providence, uh, to the to the bracket. So those those two teams got a free pass, and now Minnesota dilutes in the Frozen Four. So
1: I think we've pretty much hit on just about everything. Uh, I do. We get to that
2: creachy stuff, but that's okay. This is this is an argument that I have on a weekly basis. I'm sure we'll get back to this argument. That you want to talk
1: Creatchy? No,
2: we're we're out of time. But (laughs) okay,
1: all right, good, 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 good.
2: I'm animated on this argument that I have with people. It'll be something people bring up next week. We'll talk about it then. So,
1: so, so David, the people in the Boston media are saying that you suck. What's your, what's your, uh, what's your take on that? Look, I just like to play hockey. Uh, <laughs> you know, me and the guys have some chemistry, and, and we play really well. So, yeah, thanks. Thanks, David. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I That's pretty much accent. it. I love that accent. That's pretty much it. Uh, and that was actually
2: accurate. I actually think that was a fairly accurate accent. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, you know uh, David, how do you feel about being uh, you know, in Patrice's shadow the last uh, 10, 12 years? I like Bergie, He works really hard. You guys look up to him, and I just try to do my job. And you know, I think I'm pretty underrated, but uh, that's my job. So uh, hopefully, we can get some wins and c- go go stronger to the playoffs. You think I, you got I, any I,
2: other impressions? Like, give us give us another impression. What do you, you got? A pasta?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, we we got some good chemistry, and uh, you know, like like I say with Bergie and uh, playing with Bergy and Marshy, and uh, we just have great chemistry, and uh, we miss Big Z in the room, but. Uh yeah, so uh, I know I haven't scored a lot lately, but uh, we we look to bounce back. And Bucci always says, you know, you got to shoot, and so uh yeah. I don't know. I guess that's my pasta. I don't really know. They're similar really because <laughs> they're both Czech. <laughs> yeah, but um yeah, I think we I think we pretty much touched on on mostly everything. So um again they have they have some big games coming up. Two against uh actually we'll talk before they play. I think Philly because that's not for another week or so. So. Two big games against the Penguins and one against the Jersey uh, New Jersey Devils, who they just can't score against 5-on-5 five five or even beat. So that's pretty bad. So uh, that's episode 44 of the Skate Podcast. Uh, follow us on Twitter, the Skate Pod, me, Bridget, Scott. We're tagged in that. And uh, download it wherever you can. Right, Scott? Yep. How's any, that for any, a plug?
0: Anywhere, anywhere you can get a podcast. We're, we're there. All right. So thanks
1: for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week.